0: It. This podcast was recorded on Wondery Land.
1: We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and to the traditional owners of the game Mangrook, without which our game wouldn't exist. This is Footy Actually, brought to you by Play On Radio.
2: Recording in progress.
1: Hello, and welcome to Footy Actually. I'm completely forgotten how to do this intro bit. Leave that in. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Footy Actually, the alternative listening footy podcast for diehard fans. My name is Kel Rowe and I'm here with my co-host Gemma Bastiani, AFLW analyst extraordinaire. And we're back from our self-imposed benching. Round nine did not disappoint. Records are falling, milestones are being made and the race to the finals as well and truly on. We saw three players hit 50 AFLW games and Melbourne claimed the highest ever score record. Freshly minted by the Lions in round eight. So it's up for grabs, people.
2: And also up for grabs, is sixth place on the ladder. How did you find this weekend, Jim? Oh, It was truly so fun. Also, I should flag, we've had a break because I over overextended myself. So I'm sorry, everyone.
1: No, we both did.
2: <laughs> but uh kel, kel very kindly agreed to uh take a break with me and has been doing all the work on social media so everyone thank kel for that please thanks guys <laughs> <laughs> so footy finally returned to
1: moorabbin on saturday afternoon for our first game of the weekend uh, the saints hosted the cats in front of the brand new grandstand which i sat in part of the danny Centre. Both sides were coming off round eight wins uh, and both sides are really keen to string back-to-back victories together. The wind was troublesome, it kept accuracy and the score low, but ultimately the Saints prevailed winning by nine points. I found this one a little bit of a weird game, almost like they didn't realise they were playing for points until maybe the last 10 minutes. <laughs> but I was there on the ground, so it might have looked different on the broadcast. What did, what did you think, Jen? Um,
2: Coming into this game, the big thing was the Saints were the worst clearance team in the competition, averaging 17.8 clearances a game um, whereas Geelong were actually quite competent in that stat. You know, Amy McDonald, mm. those sorts of players, are quite good at winning those clearances. So Geelong's chance to take advantage of this game was at stoppages, at the source. Interestingly, the Saints came in and that was what they focused on beating Geelong at. Yeah. And Tilly Lucas-Ride came out and had 12 clearances, which is the equal second most in competition history. Obviously, the record is held by Jasmine Garner, who had 13 against the Dogs last year. But it seemed like the Saints came in to take that away from Geelong. And as soon as they took that away, um, Geelong found it really hard to get going. And then once they did, they were incredibly inaccurate in front of goal. So it's worth remembering that a couple of weeks ago, down at Trevor Barker Beach Oval, the Saints, their defence and, you know, the wind and that sort of stuff kept Brisbane to 11 consecutive behinds before they kicked their first goal. Geelong was kept to nine consecutive behind so it is it's windy in the southeast (laughs) well the wind is a factor I think you know inaccuracy from that that team attempting to kick goals is a factor but I think also the way the Saints have defended have forced some of those shots into awkward positions or pressured so I think some of that credit needs to go to the Saints as well despite all those other factors
1: yeah definitely most of the shots from goal were sitting in that really tight corner of the pocket in front of the grandstand And the wind was blowing across the oval, so that makes sense.
2: But yeah, I I think good for the Saints. It was their first ever consecutive wins. I don't know that you can take a a lot out of the Saints' season this year because missing key players have kind of been making up a team on the run. New coach. Have come close in some games, have been blown out in some games because they've been so inconsistent on field and off field I don't know how much you can understand what the Saints are about this year
1: maybe we'll see a, a better run from them next year who will you play on performance for the round we should say next
2: season because we don't know when the season's going to start That's It may true. not be next year maybe this year uh my play on performer votes uh three to Tilly Lucas right as I said 12 clearances which is massive she had 22 disposals laid 10 tackles and had 7 inside 50 so she was doing so much work and Geelong Left her in space. She found so much space all the time. If there was someone running with her, they weren't doing a very good job. And if there wasn't, then that's not a good choice from the coach's box either. So I don't know what what decision was made there, but it wasn't a good one. I've given two to Bianca Jacobson because she's having a really good season in that defensive line. She had 17 touches, six intercepts, 376 metres gained. But the thing that I really like about the way Jacobson works in that back line. She has a really good awareness of the tempo of a game. Mm. And when she she's able to slow it down and calm things down when she wins the ball or she knows when to go quickly. And I think that's such an asset that we, we don't recognise enough is that tempo awareness. And the best teams are good at it and the poorest teams really struggle to do it as a collective. Jacobson is leading the way for the Saints. And then one to Nina Morrison. She had 18 touches, 6 inside 50s, 464 metres gained. She works incredibly hard. She just didn't have enough support around her.
1: Yeah, yeah. I um, I did think that she had an excellent game. And It was just so great to watch her running around with that amazing mullet. It's just <laughs> one day there will be a beautiful vintage footy card of that, I'm sure. It was amazing. <laughs> um, I will make it. <laughs> yeah, do um, it. You're the graphic designer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll put that on the socials this week. Uh, I've agreed with you for the first two. Tilly Lucas Rod having a season. It's really amazing to see what has happened with her game since stepping up into that midfield role. I'm convinced that she will be a leader at this club for a long time to come. Yeah. I also agree with you on BJ. I love the way she appears to hunt the ball, even in her defensive actions. It's just really imposing as a player. And I would imagine as an op- opposition, that's quite um, intimidating, but she's, an excellent and safe pair of pants down the back. I'm really enjoying watching her season. And I've given one to Maddie McMahon, uh, probably for similar reasons. She did a really great job on the Cats defensive line. She has been all season. She's just a real rock for them back there. Um, she had 16 disposals, five marks and two tackles, which is pretty great. Yeah. Saturday's game between the Giants and Richmond. Uh, it was one for pride. Neither side is going to make finals this year. The Tigers burst out of the gates and kicked five unanswered goals by the first break, which I believe is the highest amount of goals they've kicked in the first term.
2: Yeah, uh, Richmond's highest ever first quarter score. It's also the fifth time that a team has kicked five or more goals in the first quarter in AFLW history.
1: We love a start like that. That's amazing. The Giants fought back and the game became an absolutely contested tussle with the final quarter seeing Staunton kick three goals to close the gap. In the end, it wasn't quite enough, though, with the Tigers claiming an eight-point victory.
2: The biggest thing we learned from this game is how important Wakefield and Levy are to Richmond. Absolutely. So Wakefield, she plays a great role in the forward line, not only as an incredible contested mark, a big body that you need to be really aware of, a really reliable shot on goal, but also the pressure that she takes off Katie Brennan hmm. is immense. So that's the big thing. And Lady, the way Lady is able to hit up targets going inside 50 is so, so valuable. So those were the two things that I think we learned from this. But then also... I've talked multiple times this year about when the Tigers have not performed well. It's largely been off the back of a lack of support in the midfield for Mont Conti. Obviously, Ellie McKenzie missed some of the season and it's taken a little bit to get into it, but that there needed to be other people to support Conti. And in this game, we saw Sarah Hosking take that over and had an incredible game. For the Giants, I think the issue for them, and, and again, I've said it multiple times on the pod, is they don't try new things until they are forced to try new things. Mm. And they're so predictable when they go into a game with just what they're used to doing all the time. So when, and and I hate that concussion was an issue in this game. Um, Elise Parker copped a concussion for a hit that Jess Hosking has received a two game suspension for, Um, but she missed three quarters of this game. And after that first quarter, The Giants had to get more creative because they didn't have Parker to lean on in that midfield. And as soon as they were forced to change those things, they become a much more difficult team to anticipate and they work more creatively. And they got way back into this game and it was a tussle for for the rest of the game. So Mm. that's the frustrating thing about the Giants is because the answer feels like it's right there but they're not willing to do those things until they absolutely have to. And that's my question for them is why aren't you willing to be creative?
1: Yeah, they seem really risk adverse on that front, even when they've got proven evidence that it works. Um, on Levy, I'm just really impressed with her efforts. I think um, her awareness with the ball is phenomenal. And that goal that she got right on the siren at quarter time was, was pretty excellent. Who are you playing on performance for this round?
2: So I mentioned her earlier. Sarah Hoskin gets my three. She had a personal best 23 disposals. She had a game high eight clearances and a game high seven tackles. So she was in amongst it all game and I just loved it. And she was wearing some unpleasant tape across her face because of a cut below her eye for the game as well. Didn't bother her. She got in. It was awful. I feel like I need to change my one and my two. So I'm going to give two to Beck Miller. Um, In that first quarter, especially, her presence in that defensive line, her positioning, ability to read the ball, just incredible. She had 12 disposals, took seven marks and had seven intercepts. But I think she's having just a phenomenal year. And it's such a joy to watch players kind of grow into the skills that they have with um, able to put those things together more and more year on year. And Beck Miller has absolutely been that over the past couple of years. Now, I've given the one to Mon Conti, 26 touches, six tackles, three inside 50s. She is a better player when she has support.
1: Yeah, full cool stop. I have given Mon three. She is at the centre of that side. Her performance week after week is the kind that carries the team when they're a bit flat. Um, so it's really good to see her in a situation, like you said, where she's she's got everyone else up and around her, not just doing the work herself. Uh, I've given two votes to Sarah Hosking. She's such a pressure player and she's so hard on the ball. And that cut under her eye was just so gross. So two points for that at the very least. Two points for getting a cut on <laughs> two, your face. Two points for being tough. Um, no, if another another really solid performer in the in Tigers the side. And I've given one to Beck Beeson, who we missed out on seeing for a good chunk of the season due to an ankle injury, but obviously had a huge game. She's 31 disposals and two tackles. And it's it's kind of what's been missing, I think, with Eva and Parker in the Giants' midfield when they have kind of gone the old faithful Giants' side, not having Beeson in there as kind of that outside run, I think it's really hurt them. So it's good to see her back in the side.
2: Yes. We love fit players. And wings
1: too. We love wings. Wingers. Then we get to the first of our double header at Optus ha, Stadium. I just realized <laughs> Gem's face just lit up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like such a fake laugh, but I was writing something down and didn't realize that that's what we were up to.
1: <laughs> well, guess what? Get ready, strap yourself in. I think the first thing to mention, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing to mention for this game and obviously the one that followed it, is that we were at Optus Stadium. So here we had the first opportunity to see some games without any. Annoying conditions, particularly this game between Frio and Melbourne. Unfortunately, things couldn't have gone more worse for Frio coming into this game. They were already down in their lineup thanks to some injury and COVID outs. But then, what, like an hour before the game, they had to retire three more to safety protocols. So that was the Antonios and Emero Driscoll, um, obviously, really key players for their side on top of the losses that they already had. In contrast to this, Melbourne were at their very best um, and probably took great advantage of this, but they were dominating possession. They were working the ball seamlessly up and down the ground. It's just a beautiful thing to watch. And they kicked the highest score ever in AFLW history. Frio fought hard, led by Hayley Miller as always, but it just wasn't enough to disrupt that beautiful team performance on the excellent deck that is Optus Stadium.
2: Where do I start? Oh. First of all, I feel awful for Freo because they just couldn't catch a break. No. Bauer's still out with that knee. Rue out with the hamstring. Cuthbert would be the one to take Harris, you would think. She's not in the side, so Emma Driscoll gets that matchup. Emma Driscoll are late out, so then you have to move someone else onto Harris, and it's like Anya Ty got moved into defence to play on her, and then Mim Strong spent some time on her. Mm. So it was just they couldn't get any sort of win I think that there's a couple of positives that Frio can look at though in terms of Hayley Miller still had a a phenomenal performance. She did everything she could to get everyone on her back um, and and get it right. It was just unfortunate they were up against Melbourne with no injuries. And then Michaela Weston, who was a top-up player that they brought in at the very last moment, arrived at the ground, I think, 20 minutes before the match started. Her pressure and speed was really, really good, especially in that first quarter. So uh, those are probably the positives you take out if you're a Frio fan or, Mm. or someone from Frio. From Melbourne's perspective, though, the way they run in support of one another, I think, is really underrated. And I think it really came out because they were able to play that clean disposal game, thanks to it being at a protected venue. So I I think I tweeted during the game that handball from Tyler Hanks is the best thing I've ever seen or something. Because multiple times, just the way she's able to get those balls out in front of a running teammate who doesn't have to break stride, who can then deliver the ball really quickly inside 50. I think that is like immaculate football, isn't it? And Mm. Melbourne was able to do that time and time again because, again, all of a sudden this team that is so used to playing in a gale force win is playing in perfect conditions for the first time and we could use that term perfect conditions for this game and everything just clicked for them off the back of that. Obviously Daisy Pierce in the forward line kicked five goals but the one thing that really brought a lot of people a lot of joy if they had listened to my commentary of the Melbourne-North Melbourne game the previous week
1: Mm.
2: was uh, I had my fun stat that Karen Paxman has never had never kicked multiple goals in a game but had kicked the most goals of anyone who had never kicked multiple goals in a game and my good co-commentator Nathan Burke decided to tell Karen that I'd said that um, and it was almost like she was like all right well uh, let's break that ha- habit and I uh, want to kick two goals in this game so good on you Paxi um, my record is ruined uh, I need to come up with another fun fact for my next commentary gig Um, <laughs> which is on Saturday. But yeah, it was just the perfect game for Melbourne, really, I think, in the end. Uh, Lily Mithin, give her a shout-out. She's had a really good month and probably not get – it doesn't get mentioned very much. Alyssa Bannon had a really good first half. There were a lot of players who just rose to the challenge of, all right, this is our chance to pile on a bit of percentage to potentially get that top spot on the ladder, get a home grand final if they make it through here's the chance and they and they took that on it was pretty impressive to watch and you're right the way that they
1: play for each other obviously it produces really good footy but you can see the joy it brings them all playing together which is i think something really special who are you play on performance for the round
2: well i mean we can't go past Daisy pierce yep. for the three um five goals 17 disposals five marks she also probably could have kicked a couple more goals, but was bringing her teammates into the game, mm. um, just like Alyssa Bannon did with her as well, getting that handball over top for one of her goals. So that that was just, uh, I think, a really good captain's performance. And I, I can't help but think back to round two where Melbourne played Richmond at Punt Road and... Alyssa Bannon kicked that goal of the year contender where she streamed down the wing, took four bounces or whatever. And everyone made the joke that she had to kick the goal because she burned her captain who was in the goal square. But if you actually watch the footage, Daisy is telling her to go for goal. She's being that leader, giving that responsibility to her younger Mm. teammates. And I think that's something we really saw in this game as well. Quite often, she's the one telling them to go for goal. Even if she's in a better position, she wants to give them that confidence. And, and that can't be measured, that impact she has in that way. Um, to Lily Myth just said, she had a game high, 24 disposals. She had four inside 50s. Importantly, Lily Miffin had 10 score involvements, but did not have a score of her own. So she was setting up, up teammates all day. There were four demons who had 10 or more score involvement. She was the only one who didn't kick her own score for the day. Um, Taylor Harris had 10 and she kicked three goals. Kate Hoare had 10 or 12 and she kicked three goals. And Daisy had 12 and kicked five goals. So Lily Mithen was doing it all for her teammates to get that reward. So shout out to Lily Mithin. Um, And then one to Tyler Hanks. Again, I've talked about her handballs out of the, those contests. I know everyone thinks that I'm a little bit, uh, out of my mind because I keep talking about these handballs, but please go back and watch them and understand how good they are. <laughs> 21 disposals at 71.4% efficiency, five inside 50s and five marks for Tyler Hanks.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I've agreed with you there on the first two. Uh, Daisy Pierce, phenomenal game. I did also think, unrelated to her performance, but I did also think I, she said something in the beginning of the season about how whoever... Comes out at the end of this is the premiers is probably the team that's going to field, you know, a team at the right time, and I really feel like that might be her team. It's uh, it's really coming together for them, and they've kind of navigated this really difficult season together so well with her at the at the helm. So I think you know not only her performance in that game, um, but also just across the board, she's um, pretty fantastic. I've given two points to Lily Mithin. Uh, like you said, she's just the epitome of a team player. She's constantly in there. You can see when her her teammates do well, she's probably like the first person to get up and around them. Um, oodles of energy. And to have that much involvement in scoring and not actually kick a goal yourself is pretty pretty incredible. Um, could that be your next fun fact? Is that the highest scoring? Well, I've,
2: I've... Yeah. Uh, my, it, It may just be the most score involvements without your own score. I think the previous was nine for Anne Hatchard. I will look that up after this podcast and tweet it.
1: Excellent. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) And I've given um, one point to uh, Dana Reast. obviously the rising star nominee this week, Uh, huge performance in the face of, well, let's face it, a pretty dominant Melbourne side. Um, She had 18 disposals and seven tackles and uh, is a, going to be a force in that team in this competition for years to come, I'd say.
2: I really, really like Dana So I'm very happy that she finally got a rising star nomination. Yeah, we love to see it.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. So then we moved on to our second game of the Optus Stadium doubleheader,
1: uh, a true doubleheader, as it were. (laughs) So the Dogs flew west this week and they uh, continued to keep their chances of finals alive, downing the luckless Eagles side in a dominant performance to claim a 60-point win. Doggies had six individual goal kickers and continued to entertain with their brand of footy. I just love watching the play. It's really fun. I saw that Nathan Burke was interviewed, I think, at the halftime break, and he mentioned that, you know, obviously he was pleased with what his side had done, but he wanted to, he challenged them to see if they could be ruthless. Um, And I'm pretty sure they did
2: that because they kicked seven more goals in the second half. He also said he's, as a coach, he's never been in that position before. That's wild. Which I think was really interesting. Um, the dogs needed a percentage boost if they were to stay a chance for finals, and they did that in this game. Did they get like twenty percent or something off the back of that game? Yeah, it was it was pretty massive because mm-hmm. they were able to keep the Eagles to such a low score. So conceding very few points helps your percentage more than anything. Yeah. Um, so the fact they're able to able to do that, um I just love how the Bulldogs backline works. The way they position themselves, I think they're just really clever. And the Eagles, they're a side who do like to get the ball out the back. use speed in attack because they don't really have a big key marking forward. Um, But when they come up against a a team that has a defensive line that is really disciplined and doesn't get sucked up into the play, they they really struggle to score. Um, and, And the Bulldogs clearly were aware of that Mel Hickey's their defensive coach and, and she's a really astute football mind so prepared for that didn't let those quick easy ones over the back Amy Schmidt was kept quiet off the back of that Neith mm-hmm. Kelly was kept quiet um, Katie Lynch I think had her best game of her career I think Izzy Grant grows as a defender every single week um, she was Brought into that backline this year because they they were a bit thin in terms of injury and stuff like that, mm. um, and she's just growing every single week in that in that role. And I think we've really unearthed, or the dogs have really unearthed, an exciting long term yeah. key position player for themselves who is really athletic. So yeah, I the the young dogs love it. Nell Morris Dalton got a Rising Star nomination, um, but then you add on to it Bonnie Tugood, who was continued to have a really good season. Or you know Kirsty Lamb who she's not all Australian then questions should be asked all that sort of stuff uh, it's just really exciting and I think the Eagles are just limping to the line at this point
1: yeah yeah I mean I did think the other week when I was watching them one positive that I I think for them this season is is that inclusion of Amy Schmidt obviously we've talked a bit about you know their ability to score in the past and things like that and I think she's really flourished in that role with West
2: Coast's and we had a conversation pre season. Yeah. And I said, I don't know how much she's going to bring to them because you were really excited about her. And I was a bit tentative. Mm. I concede that I was incorrect. Yes. Her awareness, how clean she is at ground level, mm. goal sense is really good. Yeah. And they needed that. She just needs more opportunities. They just don't get it in for her to have those opportunities enough but yeah i can see she's been a wonderful wonderful pickup for them
1: yeah so hopefully they'll be able to build on that and build that connection up to her for for the next season we'll see what happens she
2: she needs a big powerful forward to to stand at the feet of and they don't have that Mm. well
1: it's
2: trade season who knows God, no one knows what's going to happen this off season.
1: We'll talk about that another time. Um, yeah. <laughs> who are you playing before the votes?
2: So again, I've given three to Kirsty Lamb. She had twenty disposals, a game-high eight inside fifties, and and I think the inside fifty count is really valuable. She she just works so hard, pushes her body to the absolute limit for her team, and I just I can't help but respect her and the way she goes about her footy It's a great photo of celine moody coming to her aid (laughs) very good very funny two to ellie blackburn she had a game high 23 disposals five score involvements um ellie blackburn played another very very good game and then one to katie lynch as i said i think it was her career best game she had a personal best 18 disposals Mm. she had nine intercepts eight marks the the biggest thing though is with those eighteen disposals she used them at eighty eight point nine percent efficiency so she Huge. is helping set up the team out of defence really well with her clean ball use so shout out to Katie Lynch
1: oh that's an amazing rebound out of defence um I have agreed with you on the top one I've given three votes to Kirsty Lamb I think you're right if she's not in that All Australian side we need to have a we're, ride. we're right in yeah. the streets yeah <laughs> um, I gave Two votes to Brooke Lachlan. Obviously, we haven't seen a lot of Brooke this season because of COVID.
2: And concussion.
1: And concussion. Uh, So I was really pleased to see her at at the best that I've seen her all season. She had 15 disposals, five tackles, and she kicked three goals, and they were bloody great goals. So great to see her out there performing. Um, And I've given one vote to Ellie Blackburn. Obviously, as you said, she had the game-high disposals and continues to
2: just be one of the most exemplary captains of the season i'd say uh fun fact about brooke lachland mm. she has kicked 18 goals in her career more than half of those goals have come in two games
1: that is wild
2: seven and three Just 10 obviously yeah basic maths yeah uh yeah come in two games yeah amazing ah may she continue to be
1: a ball magnet <laughs> <laughs> Then we to, of course, to Sunday. Due to extreme flooding in Queensland, the originally slated Lions home game at Maroochydore against the Kangaroos was moved to neutral territory, somewhat neutral territory at Wittenoval. It was a pretty sort of soggy early afternoon, to be honest. Not any rain on the radar, but just wet air, uh, which is probably more annoying. So the conditions weren't amazing. Wet air. Wet air. I wasn't going to say the M word. (laughs) Nobody likes that. Um, The Roos struck first through Jazzy Ghana, um, but then the Lions booted the next three to set up a nice lead and cruised basically to the final siren with a 36-point victory. Emily Bates and Ali Anderson, of course, celebrated their significant 50-game milestone, uh, and the Lions continue to show their case for claiming back-to-back premierships.
2: Yes, I agree with what you just said. I think North really lack an awareness in-game of how to change momentum in their favour. We saw it last week against Melbourne. They had territory control late in the game, but continued to put it to the same spot, just, you know, probably 40 metres out from goal on the boundary that Mm. just kept coming back out. They had no awareness to try something different um, and I think that showed again in this game they they didn't try to change anything. They just let Brisbane do what they wanted once they tried to get in the forward half. and yeah. which which I think is quite odd. I think it it was I'm trying to phrase this in a way that isn't harsh, but it's probably going to come across as harsh. But Brisbane, we know is a is a team first team. yeah, they all. There are no stars in that team, even though, you know, and Emily Bates is a star of the competition, that sort of stuff. But once they're on the field, everyone does everything. But I don't know that that's the case for North. Mm. And I don't know that their lower end, so probably their bottom five players that are out on the field, are as good as Brisbane's bottom five players. And I think that's what continues to hold North back. They have all these stars that when everything's clicking, it's amazing. Yeah. But I think once they really rely on their depth, they do get found out a little bit because that in-game awareness, that sort of stuff isn't coming through from everyone on the field. And whereas Brisbane, everything is about everyone all the time. And famously, I wrote an article about this last week. So... um. Kel, if you want to link that in the show, notes, if you want to I, link that in the show notes, I would be honoured. <laughs> Brisbane like twenty-one more tackles than North did. Anderson and Bates, who again arguably the stars of that team, um, playing in their fiftieth game, they each had eleven tackles in their fiftieth game. They're they're willing to do the dirty work as much as they are willing to be the stars of that team. So I think that is really indicative. And then also the one percenters, Brisbane had thirty-six to North Melbourne 17. So, again, this game was won in those smaller moments where Brisbane was willing to do it, and I don't think North was.
1: Yeah, it was an interesting game. I caught the second half on the boundary, and you're right, it just sort of seemed to be kind of putting it in the same place, not getting a good result, and then trying exactly the same thing again. Um, quite frustrating for the ruse, but obviously within
2: their power to, to do something different, I guess. Who you play on performers for this round? So I'm obsessed with Sophie Conway. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that I love wingers and she's one of the best in the comp. Um, She had five inside fifties, five intercepts, 349 meters gained and kicked two goals. So five intercepts. So she's defending five inside fifties. She's turning that into attack, kicking her own goals and also setting up her teammates. I just think she's an incredible player and I'm really excited to be interviewing her in 45 minutes. So um, look out for that on the AFL women's website. Um, I've given two to Ash Riddell because despite everything, I think she is the one who is probably one of their stars who does everything, is willing to do everything. She had another 28 touches, took six marks, laid six tackles, 445 metres gained. She never, ever um, gives up. She never hangs her head, anything. I just really respect Astridale. And then I've given the one to Emily Bates, you know, 50th game, um, 16 disposals, 11 tackles, which is equal most on field, as I said earlier, and three inside 50s. I think Emily Bates is probably a a good shout for the AFLW MVP award this year.
1: Yeah, well, I've agreed with you um, with all those names, just in a slightly different order, (laughs) as per the usual. I've given Emily Bates three... I've given Sophie Conway too. She just runs and runs and runs and runs. It's incredible. Um, And I've given one to Ash who was, uh, yeah, obviously trying to turn the tide for the Roos and it just uh, didn't happen, unfortunately. Uh, And our second game on Sunday uh, was... Down at North Oval, the Crows took on the Pies in the Battle of the Birds, uh, and the visitors gave Adelaide quite a scare. They nearly took the win in in the final quarter. Ebony Marinoff, of course, celebrated her 50 game milestone, and Erin Phillips was back in the side after a bit of a knee scare. Uh, she definitely made her presence known, and newly minted rising star Eliza James kicked things off for the Pies. Pretty exciting game, despite the highly contested ball game and a surging Collingwood side. The Crows have managed to hold on for a two-point win.
2: Yeah. I think the thing we learned from this is, and arguably we learned it from the dogs game as well. Adelaide is beatable if you can match them for pressure and win the ball out of the middle. Mm. So I think those are the two things that are key to matching Adelaide. The Crows did have the early control, but once Collingwood became a bit more decisive in their pressure, so It's not all about tackle count, so it's about closing space. It's about also laying tackles, but then just that perceived pressure that they're able to put on by not allowing that space. You know, typically we see Adelaide against um, poorer teams able to just find options and use that uncontested kick mark game all around the field. As soon as Collingwood stopped that from happening from the second quarter onward, it was a totally different game. They also were able to break free of Adelaide's Territory squeeze because they didn't allow Adelaide to possess the ball as much. So Adelaide can't do that territory game Mm -hmm. if they're not controlling the ball. And as soon as you stop them from controlling the ball, you can get good looks inside 50. So the, the result of this game was actually perfect in the context of last round drama toward finals. Adelaide win by but lose 19 percentage points. The top two is still very much alive. Collingwood lose but only by two points which means they're still in the top six but they've lost enough percentage that they may drop out if they lose next week there's like so many moving parts still so there because of because of that narrow margin so I, I this game couldn't have been more perfect love it who are your playing performer votes Ruby Schleicher gets three she had a personal best 31 disposals 413 meters gained five tackles and 11 intercepts she's found that running attacking game a lot more in the past couple of games and I'm loving seeing it again two to Ebony Marinoff again in her 50th game she had 24 touches at 75% efficiency that's really good for Eb she doesn't normally go that high um seven clearances six inside 50s 448 meters gain so very attacking off the back of those clearances which I love And then I've given one to Ash Woodland. She kicked another two goals, took three marks. She wasn't super active in the game, but she was very clearly a concern Mm. for the defence and kept them on their toes. And I just love it when a forward is able to really unsettle a defence the way that she did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have given... Ebony Marinoff, three in her 50 games. Like you said, she's just having a really fantastic season. I've given her partner in crime two, Anne Hatchard. The two of those players combining on field is obviously producing some pretty amazing football. There was a little, I think, a little concern pregame around Hatchard's fitness commentators spotted in the warm-up she'd like was a bit proppy with her back or something but clearly didn't affect her game too much in the end and one vote to Ruby Schlescher who was just incredible and has been playing like you said a really incredible role for Collingwood off that halfback line she's really stood up in the absence of you know those players who've succumbed to injury and aren't on field this year so it's pretty great to see and then we got to our last game of the weekend for a fairly compact fixture this weekend it still felt like an inordinate amount of games in comparison to a few weeks back where we've had you know playing catch-up games the footy really went all weekend
2: that's <laughs> because it was over we had four games on saturday and three on sunday Everything yeah it was packed into two games yeah, two days really intense men's pre-season matches are on. yeah
1: oh yeah that's no good but, uh, but the Blues obviously rounded out the weekend. They hosted the Suns for their final home game of the season uh, and their late run of form continued, riding over the Gold Coast and snuffing out any chance of finals for that visiting side. Mim Hill continues to star um, and the return of some key players from injury for the Blues has seen their ball movement improve significantly. Conversely, the loss would have been pretty disappointing for the Suns, who's... We've just had a real breakout season, really turning things around after finishing on the bottom of the ladder last year, which I think, you know, at the start of the season was quite surprising, um, but it's transitioned into just being thoroughly entertaining football to watch.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think for Carlton, everyone is talking about their fixture early in the season was hard and this and that, which is not untrue, but also they have changed their mindset in the past three weeks. Hmm. They've decided that they're going to apply pressure up the field, especially inside 50. They're going to be a hard team to get rebounds against. And that has completely changed their game. If they had done that... I mean, we saw it in the first quarter, even half against Fremantle. Yeah. That pressure against good teams... Keeps you in the game and they just weren't doing it earlier in the year. But the fact that they've been able to do it the past few weeks and they've copped three wins, three pretty solid wins as well, mm. it's off the back of that willingness to apply pressure higher up the field, defend higher up the field so that their backline isn't constantly being bombarded and caught out. So against Gold Coast, they had five more tackles and um, just generally, and it's six more tackles inside 50. But importantly, they are plus 27 for tackles inside 50 over the last three weeks. Plus 27 is massive. They are pressuring to keep that territory, keep the ball inside 50, create repeat opportunities. And that is what has changed the game for them. And it was, it's all mindset. The players that have been on the field from round one had the potential to do that. They just haven't been. Yeah. And now that they are, they're a much better side.
1: Yeah, agreed. It's really good to see.
2: Sorry, that, that was very like, aggressive ranty i didn't no, mean it that way but no. it's just if it's frustrating that they could have done this earlier
1: as a as a Carlton supporter like i agree i agree with everything you say and it is incredibly frustrating to you know not really kind of realize that ability uh and that mindset until this late in the season hopefully we can just keep working towards that being from day dot who will you play on performance
2: for the round so i have chosen Will alawwefi for three votes. Amazing. Her positioning, I think, is just really, really smart. Um, she had ten intercepts, sixteen disposals at seventy five percent efficiency. But again, I just love her awareness, her game sense of how to position herself. Mm-hmm. And she works beautifully with Gab Pound and Karen Harrington in that backline as well. So um loved, loved her game. Two to Mimi Hill. Again, 25 disposals, that is her average this season, which is completely wild. Um, 423 metres gained, three score involvements. I think she is, uh, you said earlier, key players coming back has really helped their ball movement, specifically her. And then Courtney Jones gets my one uh, because I think her forward pressure was really, really good. Um, 13 disposals. Kicked a goal, laid four tackles, which I think is really important. So that's why she gets my one.
1: I'm pretty sure she laid a tackle on someone inside their 50, and that's what resulted in the goal, too, wasn't it? Was it a turn? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she took, took that mark with her legs. <sighs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Creative,
1: it's great. Uh, exactly. I've given three votes to Mim Hill. I was saying to someone after that game that it is like watching a ribbon in the wind, the way that she moves. It is just, and I know that sounds absurdly like it's a a weird metaphor to apply, but if you watch her play football, she's just so silky through traffic. It is just a joy to watch, um, and I look forward to watching that for many, many more years. I've given two to Brie Moody. I think her season has been absolutely phenomenal. And she's been really consistent across the board. But there was a couple of moments in that game that I just really loved, particularly where she, she ran. where she got the ball on the wing and she went for a run, slipped over, got up, managed to avoid evade the same defender, take a bounce, come through and boot it perfectly into the, the goal square. She's got a booming kick. So I just really enjoyed that run carry and delivery. Um, I think I'm always in awe of of the taller, you know, like the rucks and that, being able to perform as an extra midfielder. And I think... um, Lauren Pierce, Lauren Pierce, and Bree Moody are two people in particular in this competition who have the ability to do that and make it look effortless. Like if you're a big body and you're getting down to the ground to gather a ball, um, if you make that look effortless, like hats off, that's impressive. And I've given uh, the one to Ali Drennan. As per the usual, she was sort of everywhere in her defence uh, and her pressure around the contest is amazing. I really enjoy watching play, her play football and I and I hope we get to see more of her. I'm not ready for for Ali to finish. I don't think Ali's ready to finish either, which is great. Are you retiring her on this podcast right now? Gosh, no. I'm saying that she should definitely not. Her football is Good. incredible. Good. Um, so that was the end of the round. Obviously, we've got one more um, round to come, round 10. Yep. What's your game to watch?
2: Uh, I don't have the sheet up. I think I chose Richmond-Collingwood. Did I choose Richmond-Collingwood? Yeah, You absolutely did. Collingwood-Richmond, I should say, because it's Collingwood's home game. I'm commentating this one for the ABC, so everyone tune in. I think this one has such implications for finals because Richmond are in fairly good nick.
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: If they can beat Collingwood... That door is open on Sunday for the the dogs to sneak in. Oh, yeah. And I just love the idea of that being live until the last moment. So that's why I've chosen this game. Well, funny you should say
1: that because I don't know if you remember, but when we were doing the sort of season previews at end of last year, start of this year, I'm pretty sure that I said that there would be a couple of teams like say St Kilda and Richmond who wouldn't necessarily make finals but they would cause trouble for other sides trying to solidify their finals position. And this is it. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. To your point too,
1: I, uh, my game to pick is the dogs V lines. Cause obviously that's pretty important uh, in the scheme of that final six Lions are obviously in pretty top form. Um, I don't think they've really not been it's, a, it's amazing, but I have quite a lot of hope for the dogs off the back of that, massive win against, um, and it wasn't massive in the scoreline, but obviously massive effort for win against Adelaide. We know that they can match it with top teams. They play strategically. They've got a really solid back line and they're looking in pretty good shape. I mean, they had a rough start to the season. So I feel like this is going to be a really exciting matchup. The Lions will probably be put to their paces and likewise because we know that they're also a really incredible side. So I think those two fantastic games
2: to watch across the round. Yes, I'm going to be heading up to Ballarat for that game, so um, I'll wave to people if they see me. That sounded really obvious. Yeah, like the Queen. If you see me, wave, please, because <laughs> I will wave back. <laughs> I'm uh, conversely, I'm going to uh, the Collingwood Richmond game.
1: I'll wave I at will, you. As
2: I said, I'll be there, but um, listen, listen on ABC, everyone. Excellent,
1: excellent. <laughs> on that note, let's talk about tipping for round ten. On Friday night, we've got the Cats hosting the Giants down at um, GMHBA Stadium. Who have you got for that, Jen?
2: I'm going to go Geelong uh, because I think they're a better team than what the performance last week showed. But I'm going to go for them by two points. I'm also going to back the Cats in.
1: I'm going to back them in by a goal. Okay. I'm writing this down. Excellent. Uh, Then the first game on Saturday, obviously we've talked about it in our games to watch, uh, is Collingwood hosting Richmond down at Victoria Park. I, um, I'm i going to go first because yeah. you might think I'm copying you. Uh, look, this is a chaos <laughs> tip, but I would love Richmond to get up. Richmond by two points.
2: Um, I also would love Richmond to get up because, again, I want I want those finals to be live until the very last moment. I, I will still have to tip Collingwood, though, but I'm going to tip them by one. I'm going to do a lots of lots of narrow margins this this week. I think so. I think so. Maybe not so much for
1: the next game. Yeah, mm. no. Sorry, Eagles. Uh, kangaroos are hosting the West Coast Eagles at Arden Street. Um, I'm going to back in the Ruse
2: by eighteen. Uh, I'll go Ruse as well. I think it's going to be thirty points.
1: Ooh. Actually, that's true. Dana Hooker with a shoulder injury might uh, be a. A big blight for the Eagles.
2: Oh, but you can't change it now, though, because I've already written it. In- oh, no, I won't change it.
1: Um, I'm, still, I'm still backing in the ruse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an idiot. <laughs> uh, then uh, we have uh, the Melbourne Demons hosting the Blues out at Casey Fields. Uh, obviously, this one's a pretty important one for Melbourne to get even more percentage boosts chance of having a home grand final and snagging one of those tops two spots. Um, From what I understand, it's all down to the numbers at this point. Um, So they really have to make a good show of it. I would love to pick Carlton because I support them, but I'm going to go the D's by a lot, maybe 30. 30?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm tipping Melbourne by 25. Nice.
1: Yeah. I also think this might convince my uh, D's. Finals bandwagon participation.
2: Welcome aboard.
1: <laughs> I'll be here for the uh the duration of the campaign.
2: For a month. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Our first game on Sunday. Uh St Kilda are hosting the Adelaide Crows down at rca Stadium. Uh you can go first on this one, Jim.
2: Oh, uh, Adelaide by 40. I think Adelaide's gonna end up top of the ladder because I think Adelaide's gonna win by enough that Melbourne can't make up that percentage.
1: Yep. Yep. I'm inclined to agree with you. I would love to back in the Saints on this one, but uh my tipping status probably needs to be redeemed. So <laughs> Adelaide you, by 35.
2: Could you imagine if the Saints won this? That would be completely wild. Oh. Uh, I mean,
1: I would probably have to eat my hat or some form of punishment for doubting them. They're not going to Yeah, no. Our second game on Sunday is the Western Bulldogs hosting the Lions out in Ballarat at Mars Stadium, another one of our games to watch for the round. I'm going to back in the Dogs by two.
2: Dogs by two? That's a big call. Yep. Uh, I'm going Brisbane by 15. Ooh, okay. Nice. All right. And then our
1: final game for Sunday uh, and final for the home and away season uh, is the Fremantle Dockers is hosting the Gold Coast Suns, which actually might be a really interesting game off the back of this round.
2: They're meant to be getting O'Sullivan and Franklin back and potentially mm. Bowers and potentially Cuthbertson. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to go Freo by 40. They will be absolutely furious about what happened on Saturday. Um, so I'm going Freo by 40.
1: Chaos tip. I'm going to go Suns by six.
2: Wow. I love how you said earlier, I need to redeem my tipping so you don't tip the saints, but then since then you've gone completely wild.
1: Yeah, I'm all out of sorts after two weeks off. Uh- <laughs> my fault, my fault. <laughs> so uh, listen to Gemma's tipping is probably more sensible than mine. Oh, you know, chaos tip.
2: Chaos tipping is fun, though. Yeah.
1: You, and, you know, if you get it right, it's just ridiculous. It's not even yeah. possible yeah anyway that is a wrap on our review of round nine of the 2022 aflw season if you have enjoyed this delightful chat we've had today uh, and would like to follow along with us on twitter you can find me at row underscore kel, and also at play on radio melp Gemma, what's your twitter
2: handle i'm at gl bastiani come and find me she'll wave at you I do always wave I was on the phone to my brother yesterday and when I said goodbye to him I waved it wasn't a FaceTime it was just a voice call (laughs) hi I literally waved
1: we wave a lot on this uh on this recording too hi we're doing it now (laughs) (laughs) well that's it from us for now thanks for listening to footy actually and we'll catch you next time
2: bye